Well, good morning again, Pastor Brown from Akron Lions Fellowship. Hope that you've had you a wonderful week and a great time in the Lord all during the week as you've walked with him. It's amazing to live day for day with the Lord and watch how he performs and how he does. Um, it's just outstanding to see him do what he does. It's, it's out of this world, as some folks would say. But our God is faithful. He continues to work for us and ministers to us, helps us in every situation, shows us favor. As one would say, love and blessed and highly favored. Um, we are loved and blessed and highly favored. And as a friend of mine will say, I'm just doing excellent. And another friend of mine said, I'm doing better than what I deserve. And and that's the Lord. He is doing more for us than what we really deserve. And I just thank him for that. I want you to keep Jasper in prayer and continue to keep Roscoe in prayer. Jasper, we've seen him back in church the last couple of weeks. And that has been just a, a, a smile on people's face. He has uh, encouraged people by his testimony and what he's gone through. And we just praise God for him. And now Roscoe got his turn at going through his trial. So would you just be praying for David Fry? We call him Roscoe. That's his nickname. But um, God knows him. God knows both of these men. So would you just keep them in prayer? And we just want to say to you, may you keep your eyes focused upon Jesus Christ. Where you, your focus determines your end results. If you are focused on the wrong thing, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to miss your goals. You're going to miss what God has for you. But if you'll fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ and focus upon him, you'll be surprised what God does in your life. And there will be no regrets for what God has done. And he will just bring a smile. And he will just bring a confidence into your life that surpasses the understanding of men. Well, we better pray and we want to get on with our subject. We're still on the area of the covenants and how God works in this thing called the covenant. And he's a faithful covenant-keeping God. And uh, I hope we can learn that as we go through this. So let's pray. Father, we honor you. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. For there is none like thee, O Lord. And you are the one who is worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Lord, that we have been given the gift of a sound mind and the ability to praise you, recognizing the wonderful things that you have done in our lives and in the lives of many others. So we just pray even this moment that you would speak to us in this hour and that, Lord, for those who are weary in heart, those who are just tired in the body, those, O oh God, who just don't know whether to go left or right, that, Lord, you would speak to them and that you would minister to people. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the lives of people. We all need you, Lord, saved and unsaved. We all need you. And we pray, Father, you would draw us closer to thee and intercede in our lives. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes we just call Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament. And we forget that there's an Old Testament covenant and there's a New Testament covenant. And for years that's what the uh, New Testament was called. New Testament covenant. It was different from the Old Testament covenant. But there are also similarities. And those are the things that we want to talk about is those things that are similar based on the very fact we serve a God, as James says in the book of James, chapter 1, that changes not. We serve a God that is the same 
today, yesterday, tomorrow. He doesn't change. And what he desires, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, is two basic things. That he is our God and we are his people. And he makes that pretty clear in both. That he is our God and we are his people. And he enters into these covenants with us, old and new. And the New Testament, for some of you who might be worried about where I'm going, uh, I'll say it up front right now, is far, far better than the Old Testament. The New Covenant has some things in it that the Old did not have. And we need to recognize that. And the big difference between the New and the Old is the presence of Jesus Christ here on earth and the things that he taught. But we want to recognize that God is dealing with humanity. Now, in the Old Testament, he deals with what many recognize. He deals with the nation of Israel because he raises up Israel. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob changes Jacob's name into Israel and he's raising up Israel. And he's the one who not so much chose a nation, but raised up a nation. And sometimes we miss that. And we just get stuck on the word chose. That Why did he choose Israel? Well, if he would have chose somebody else, we would have been asking the same question. Why did God choose this group over this group or that group? And what happens is that God raises up Israel. To use them for his own glory. And in the Old Testament, he is dealing with a nation that affects the people, the people of Israel. He deals with the nation, the priesthood. He's teaching them what they should teach the people. And recognize that it is the priests and the Levites who do the teaching of all the symbolicness of the Old Testament and what God wants his people to learn. And he's pointing them to the Lamb that is going to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, God is dealing with individuals. In that New Covenant, he's dealing with individuals. Now, catch this. He deals with individuals that can have an effect upon the nation. Old Testament, he's dealing with the nation that has an effect upon the people. In the New Testament, he's dealing with the individual who has an effect upon the nation and nations. And we need to understand in both, God is somewhat requiring the same thing. And because of the Old Testament... He deals with the nation, but yet he desires that nation to be holy. In the New Testament, he's dealing with the individual, and he's desiring the individuals to be holy. And we need to understand that, that both are required to be holy. Now, in the Old Testament covenant with Israel, it was to bring to consciousness of the people through symbols that Jehovah's acting redemption in their life was something that they could watch and see and recognize. And in the individual's life in the New Testament, it's the redemption of the individual, not so much the nation, but the individual. And he can see that redemption take place in his own life. How God is rescuing him, saving him. How God is helping him to overcome and conquer the woes of his life, the enemies in his life, the troubles in his life. In both Old Testament and New Testament, the object is to raise up a people. Now catch this. The object is to raise up a people who belong to God 
and represent him. In the Old Testament, Israel was to represent God before all the other nations. They had their gods, but their gods could not do what the gods of Israel would do on behalf of Israel. In the New Testament, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, works things in our lives that no other God and no other thing or idol can perform or do. But in both, old and new, the goal or the objection is to raise up a people who belong to God and who know God and represents him before the rest of the world. Now, the obligation of the covenant whether old or new, you find these two things that really stick out in the covenant. And number one is for Israel, it was to be God's people. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are to be God's church. We are to be his people. We are to be his called out ones. We are to be a holy people, a sanctified people. All that's in the New Testament covenant of what we should be. And we're going to look at some of that. But in the Old Testament, Israel was to be a sanctified nation, a nation set apart from the rest of the world, being different and being a people who ran after the Lord and who truly worshipped him. So for both, old and new, we were to be a people of God. Both covenants cover that. That the people were to be a people of God, belonging to God, representing God. Second point of the covenant, whether new or old. For God himself lays on himself the obligation of being our God. And with all that entails is that he is our protector. He's our provider. He's our guide. He's our light. He is the one who really rescues us and ministers to us. He's the one who heals us. He gives himself totally to us. He lays himself, he lays this responsibility upon himself to be all that he is for us. No one makes him, but he enters into that covenant making that promise to himself that he will be the one and only true God in our life. Why? There is no other. No other can do what he does. For God, he lays on himself the responsibility of being our God, being our Savior, being our guide, being our light, being our teacher. He lays that responsibility on himself to care for us. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, like where you go to verses 19 and 20. And uh, it would take quite a bit of time to jump to Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. But we will see these qualifications in both covenants, in a sense, of what God is asking. So he may use some different wording, but the meaning is basically the same. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 19 and 20, he said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now that's something that's different. 
that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in every believer, in every believer in the New Testament. Now, many teach that the Holy Spirit was upon people in the Old Testament, but not in. I don't know what David is saying when he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But I think David was a man filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But we know for certain in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. He teaches every believer. And that's important to recognize. That he teaches every one of us. And he says, this is the part that I want you to really catch. You are not your own. In the Old Testament, Israel knew they were not their own. Although they, yes, they rebelled. They wanted to do their own thing. But they were not their own. God is the one who created the nation of Israel. God is the one who changed Jacob's name to Israel. It is God who brought them out of Egypt as a nation. He's the one who took them in and provided for them. And it is God's hand upon Israel for the purpose of being his people, not their own. And in the New Testament, he tells us very clearly, you are not your own. And we're not. We belong to him. We're his people. And somehow we miss that. God is not a butler. God is not someone just to fulfill our wishes. God is not someone who we just run to in a time of trouble. He is someone in whom we worship constantly all day long. We give praise to him. We honor him. We respect him. Oh, he is worthy to be praised. Yes, he is. And we understand we're not our own. And he's the one who's ordering our steps. He's the one who's opening doors. He's the one who's directing us. And then he goes on, he says, you were bought at a price. We were bought. He purchased us. He purchased us from our old sinful way of living and brought us into a new way of living. He paid the price with his son dying on Calvary that we might have a life to live for him. He purchased us, not with gold and silver and precious stone, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And he says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Honor God. What's our purpose? It's to honor God. Let the world see us, honor him, and praise him, and worship him, and never to be ashamed of him. For Paul says, I'm not ashamed of my God, nor the gospel of my God, or the teaching of my God. I'm not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And we need to hear that. We need to know that. We are not our own, but we truly do belong to God. And the purpose is to honor him. Do you really honor him in in your life, in everything that you do? Are you out each day to honor him? Somehow, check yourself. It's not for somebody else to check you. But ask yourself this. Lord, show me how to honor you today. Are you asking him that? Are you asking him to show you how to honor him at your job, in the things that you decide in your family, especially for husbands? Are you honoring God in loving your wife, in dealing with your children? Do your children see you honor the Lord? And he says, therefore, honor God with your body, 
with your with this living body. Honor the Lord. He's not after a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice that represents him and honors him. Now, he goes on, and I want you to see something, and I want you to tie it with that Old Testament. Go to First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. First um, Peter <coughs> chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. It's important to catch this now. He says, but you are a chosen people. That does away with all the argument about being chosen in a sense, that Israel was just chosen. No, God says we are a chosen people. Any person who is praising God, worshiping the true and living God, is a chosen person. Why is he chosen? Because Christ died for him. Christ died for him or for her. And upon Calvary, we were all chosen. That for as many who would come and confess his name, in no way would he deny you. He will accept you. And you become a son and a daughter. Because you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You have admitted that you have sinned and you repent of those sins and now you truly just want to live for him. And he says, but you are a chosen people. Catch it. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Wait, catch those adjectives there. Same thing about Israel. They were a royal priesthood. They were a priesthood. They were a holy nation. And he's saying this about the Christian now. And he goes on and he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Catch that. Don't miss that. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Not out of Egypt, but out of what? Out of darkness. Out of your ignorance of not knowing the one and only true God. And he said, you're called out of your darkness unto his wonderful light. And then he says, once you were not a people. Oh, once you were not. Once I was not a part of the body of Christ. Once I was not in Christ. Once I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Once I was not part of the true and living church. Once I had no knowledge really of the Lord Jesus Christ or the work that he has done on my behalf. And he says, once you were not a people. And there was a time that I did not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to be a little difficult for some of us to accept. We're all born in sin, separated from God. And we have to come to a place to repent of our sins and accept him as our Lord and Savior. He is the one who has given me life, yes. He is the one who has created me, yes. But the New Testament makes a difference between the issue of him being creator of my life and him being my Heavenly Father. And the privilege I have of calling him Daddy. And to become an adopted son or an adopted daughter. That is a privilege that he grants us. If we so desire to do so. And 
he makes it very clear, once you were not. You were not what? A people of God. But now you are the people of God. Now, what made the difference was your acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ and coming into the covenant with Christ. It brings you into the church, into the body of Christ. And you become one of his people. And that's why it says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are, catch it in that verse, in verse 10. You are now a people of God. Once you were not, but now you are. If you confessed your sins and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now one of those chosen individuals in the body of Christ. Now, if you just stay with me for a moment here, go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Get my eyes here focused. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life, handed from the empty ways of life, handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Israel was built up by the hands of God. And we are today being fashioned by the hands of God according to Ephesians 2 8 and 10 we are his workmanship now turn over with me to Philippians 1 6 because God is doing something that only a living God is able to perform and he does it within the guidelines of the covenant that he has made with us in the New Testament. So in one six, he simply says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until we see Christ face to face, God the Father is going to work in us, the Holy Spirit's going to work in us, Jesus is going to work in us, there's going to be a work in our lives until we see Christ face to face. Just like he worked with Israel, he's going to work with us. But he also tells us why he stopped working with Israel, but we'll see that over in Hebrews. And we need to understand because of their unfaithfulness. God in the New Testament makes this covenant and he is the one who remains faithful to it. And I'm so thankful that he does. And he keeps his word. And usually that's what the covenant is about. God keeping his word. Why? His word honors his name. And we need to understand that. Go over to Hebrews chapter 8 can't look at the whole chapter, but it would be good to do it on your time. But would you go into verses 8 and 7 with me? I mean, 7 and 10 with me in chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Go to verses 8. Chapter 8, verse 7. 
to attend with me. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. There was something that the old covenant couldn't do, that the new covenant does. And one of the reasons it couldn't do it, because Jesus Christ had not given his life for us. And Jesus Christ, he just doesn't cover sin. He takes it away. In the Old Testament, the sin was covered by the blood of bulls and lambs and the sacrifices. But in the New Testament, it's taken away, totally removed from us. It has no effect upon us. That's not saying sins that you go out and commit don't have an effect on your life. But in the standing of God, God is not going to judge us on that issue of our sins, whether we're going to heaven or hell. That's going to be based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, stay with it, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, where was the fault at? With the people. Not with God. With the people. But God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. What is God talking about? He's going to make a new covenant. Well, why don't he make this covenant work? The reason this covenant is not sufficient is because he himself has not died for our sins. It was the animals. It was all the symbolicness that was leading us to God himself going to Calvary on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ to die for us. Didn't happen back then. Why did God choose this time? I can't answer. But God allowed man to do all that man thought he could do to save himself and the reality is None of it worked. And the only thing that can save man is Jesus Christ and personal relationship with him. He says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, and that's what is making a difference, is the Old Testament with the forefathers, the covenant was made. And when he makes the covenant in the New Testament, it's basically with Jews. Uh, his 12 apostles were Jewish. At the Last Supper, when he announces a new covenant, they're all Jews. Those who start off building the church and witnessing for the church are all Jews. And he deals with Israel. And you hear people say it. Out of Israel comes the church. Out of Israel come Christianity. Out of Judaism. And he says, I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain, hear it now, faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. They would not keep his covenant. He, in a sense, divorces them because of their unfaithfulness. In the New Testament, that will not happen because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
Now, go with me in 8 and verse 13. Look what he says in verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he was made, he has made the first one obsolete. I'm not under the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean I don't learn from the Old Testament because it is written for my learning. But I'm not under the law of the Old Testament. That doesn't mean I throw the law out. The sacrificial laws, yes. I'm not going to have no place in my backyard where I'm sacrificing lamb, bulls. No, that's not going to happen. I don't have to worry about uh, the tabernacle traveling with me. I am the temple of God and he's dwelling in me. Now, again, he says, by calling the covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. As Jesus Christ would come on the scene, the old one would disappear. It didn't disappear quickly because we see circumcision and certain things in the Old Testament where Jews were still fighting for those things to take place. But as the Holy Spirit began to teach the Christians The old passes away. And the same thing happens in your life. As you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, the old will pass away. But in both covenants, God contracted himself into a relationship. Nobody forced God into a relationship with us, whether it be old or new. And in both, God contracted himself. That's the part we need to understand about the covenant, is that God is contracting himself. He's agreeing to do this or to do that. There's that conditional covenant where there is something that you have to do because you hear the word if, if, if. And then there's the unconditional where God is just going to function and God's going to do it. God's going to make it happen. Salvation was not dependent upon man, totally upon God. It's totally a work of God. And we need to understand that there's nothing that man can do to earn his salvation. It's just the work of God in our lives if we allow him to work in our lives and perfect his redemptive work in us. God contracts himself into a relationship with his people, old and new. Go to Philippians 4.19 and you're going to see just a little bit of here in the New Testament. It's the same thing in the Old Testament, because God is the one who provides for Israel. If you remember, in the desert, God provided for them. God is the one who allowed them to drink the water from the rock. It is God who rained down manna for them. It is God who blessed them and gave them homes with already built and, and, and with food there already to eat. They didn't plant it. It was already there. So in Philippians 4.19, listen to what he says, because it's important that we're able to understand this. He says, and my God, Paul says, will meet all your needs. Now, the question I want you to ask in the Old Testament, did God meet all the needs of Israel? Profoundly, yes. He gave them victory after victory, and he provided them with wealth he gave them all that they had need of to the Christian today in the New Testament covenant God has provided everything we need in the person of Jesus Christ can't say that enough 
everything you have need of is in the person of Jesus Christ. If you look to him and him alone, God will provide. God will meet your need, whatever it might be. And that's in the covenant, the New Testament covenant, that God here says, Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, now catch this, in Christ Jesus. How full is your life with Jesus Christ? Some Christians live in a bankrupt situation simply because their life is not filled with the praises of God. Only time they really live for the Lord is the one or two hours on Sunday morning, but all the rest of the time is for the devil and for this world. And what God wants to teach us is how to live for him every minute of the day. Every minute of the day. And my God will meet all your needs. And that's in the covenant. He did it with Israel. He met all their needs. Now, Israel's history can be explained in one principle. One principle, one principle. The Christian history, the Christian life, is basically explained on one principle. And one principle only. God regarded not Israel, but he regarded his own name. His own name. His own name. And his word. His word is his covenant. What is said in that covenant is his word. And God honors his own name that it will not be put to shame or disgraced. And it's not about Israel. And sometimes we put a lot of focus on Israel. But it's about God and his name. God's going to honor his name. How does he do that? By keeping Israel, by defending Israel, by keeping the Christian, defending the Christian. God honors his own name. He honors his word by what he does in our life. And it's because of his name. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20. I just want you to see how many times this reoccurred within a sense. Because it's about his name. Um, you can speak and you can sign your name to something, but if you're not going to back it, it doesn't mean a thing. Used to be a time that men didn't need to sign contracts per se. They shook hands and the hand was the agreement. And I remember when I bought my first home and uh, I wasn't 21 yet, I was still 20. And I asked the gentleman who I was buying it for because I didn't go to the realtor at first. I went directly to the house, knocked on the door, and I explained to the gentleman that I would like to buy his home. Uh, but I wanted to know if he would do it. And I knew he was asking this price, but uh, would he accept this price? And uh, we sat in that living room and uh, we worked out a deal. And uh, we shook hands on it, and I just asked him, I said, now, are you going to keep your word? And he told me, my word is good as the day is long. And I never forget that, because he would take his hand, the day is long, my word is good. Wouldn't that be great if that was so today, that people's word was their bond, in a sense, and you could really count on it? But... In uh, verse 8, it says in verse in chapter 20, But they rebelled, Israel rebelled against me, and would not listen to me. 
They did not get rid of the vow images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Israel struggling. No man, you hear it in the New Testament, no man can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You can't worship two gods. And God will not take second place. And he will not allow you to call something else God that is not God. It's him and him alone. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. He doesn't have two wives. He only have one, the church. And the church is that true bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says they would not forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, catch that now. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned. What is he protecting? Is he protecting Israel or is he protecting his name? God honors his name. He honors his word. He keeps his word. He honors his covenants. And his covenants are always given in his name. And he says, But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned. What was he keeping from being profaned or cursed or downgraded? His name. In the eyes of the nations. Who? Those unbelievers out there would start saying, Oh, God can't teach them. God can't control his own people. Uh, his own people won't obey him or do what he's asking them to do. If you're if you're saying you're a Christian, but you're following after this world, you're dishonoring the Lord. You're dishonoring the Lord, and you need to come back and repent and begin to live for the Lord. And honor his name. Honor him. Honor him. Live for him. And he says, he would not profane or cause the nations to profane his name or to degrade his name because he didn't keep his word. They lived among and in whose sight I have revealed myself. To the Israelites. By bringing them out of Egypt. He says not that. They really don't know me. I've revealed myself. I've spoken to them. I've guided them. I've given them light. I've redeemed them. I've blessed them. But yet. They do not respond. How many of us have God. Really helped. And ministered to us. It wasn't luck. It was God. But you don't recognize it. You don't acknowledge it. But once you remember. You're still God's workmanship. And he's going to work with you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to bring you back to himself. You may be running from him. You just can't run fast enough and you can't run far enough. His hand is going to grab hold of you eventually. And his whole process, he says, I gave them my decrees and I made known to them my laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them. And I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us. So they would know that I, the Lord, made them what? Made them holy. They didn't make themselves holy. If you're a Christian, what makes you holy is God himself. It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is making you holy. That's consecrating you unto the Lord. 
And the Lord says, I gave them my law. I gave them my Sabbath, even as a sign between us. Now, go a little bit further with me. Go to verse 14. Pick up over in Ezekiel 20 in verse 14. Get these eyes focused again. He says, But for the sake of my name, I did not, I did what you, what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had bought them out. The other nations have witnessed what God had did on behalf of Israel. And now they're going to laugh at him because he could bring them out from their enemies, but he couldn't control what he bought out. He can bring you out of darkness, but because you have a free will, doesn't mean that you will love him enough or care enough for him or want to honor his name that you will live in such a way that would really praise him and other people will take note of it. People will take note a change in your life has happened and they'll recognize, boy, it had to be something more than you. But then you got to recognize that. And you need to honor God if that has happened in your life. If it hasn't happened and you want to change life, ask God to help you. He'll do it. He'll change your life. But here again he said, but for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had bought them out. Listen to what he says about Israel. For their hearts were devoted to their idols. In verse 16. Their hearts were devoted to their idols. Now bring that over to the New Testament. Your heart is devoted to the things of this world. Not to God. Not to the one who you say have saved you. Uh, not to the one who has given you the privilege of calling yourself a Christian or a saint. Is your heart really devoted to the Lord? Yes, I struggle with that too. How much is enough? How far must it go? And all I can say is this. I'm still on that road chasing after my God. I do have trouble with the world at times. Sometimes I have trouble with the president. Sometimes I have trouble with the governor. Sometimes I have trouble with this law or that law. Or I have trouble with what's going on in our world. But I got to always bring my eyes and my heart back and fix them with Jesus Christ. Knowing that my job is not to really fix this world. But to minister to people. That's two different things. To minister to people one at a time. And to work with them as God leads me and directs me. And don't get caught up in all these other things. Then when you move on into verse 22, uh, you find it again. He says, you say, we want to be like the nations, like the people of the world. Israel was saying, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like the people of this world. And Christians are saying that. We we want to entertain ourselves like the world does. We want to have the fun that the world does. We want to do what the world does. Not what God would have us to do. Every day you got to make choices. Is it going to be the world's way or God's way? And that reveals your heart even to yourself. When you yield to be obedient to God and not chasing after the things of the world. You say we want to be like the nations. Like other people around us. I don't want to be like other people around me. I want to be 
the person that God would have me to be. I want to be holy. I want to be consecrated unto him. I want to be able to live for him. And most of all, not to show any area of my life where there is shame towards him, but to praise him and to honor him in all things. Come down into verse 37. He says, Boy, I will take note of you as you pass under my rod, under the rod of discipline, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Look what God said he's going to do. He's going to bring us into his covenant. He's going to bring Israel into his covenant. Now, he had to send them into bondage to help straighten them out. It was their discipline. And he's dealing with the nation, not so much the individual. With you and I, he will discipline us to bring us under his covenant if we name the name of Jesus. And we need to know that if we are truly saved, we will not continue in sin. It doesn't say we won't sin, but we won't continue in sin. And that's important for the Christian to understand. You're not going to live in it. You're not going to wallow in it. Because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is going to be upon you. And he says, I will bring you into the bonds of the covenant. I will purge you of those who revolt and rebel against me. He's going to separate. He's going to get rid of that shaft. And he goes on, he says, Although I will bring them out of the land where they are living, yet they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What is God doing? Teaching the people who he is. That he is God. That he is God. And people have to come to a place to truly recognize that. That he is God. Come down in verse 44. Like I said, it's a beautiful chapter. Chapter 20 is a beautiful chapter to read. And then just score how many times God says he's doing this for his namesake. So in verse 44, he says, you will know that I am the Lord. What does God want his people to know? That he is the Lord, that he is God. There is no other. When I deal with you, now listen for for my namesake. When I deal with you for my namesake, because see, you're mine. And I'm going to work with you for my namesake. That no one can profane my name. No one can say, I can't do that. When I deal with you for my namesake and not according to your evil ways. How is God going to deal with us? Not really according to our evil ways because the wages of sin is what? Death. What is God out to give us? Life. If he dealt with us according to our evil ways, we would be dead right now. But he's going to teach us. He's going to discipline. He's going to correct. He's going to rebuke. He's going to teach us. And not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices, O house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. And he's going to do it for what purpose? His namesake. His namesake. God knows he is God alone. And no one else can do it. No one else can transform your life. No one can really change your life. Oh, you can change your habits. Uh, You can stop eating pork if that's what you want to do. Uh, You can wear this around your head or that. and, And that's all 
behavior change. The heart change comes from the Lord. Real committed heart change comes from the Lord. And it comes because of love. Not because we're forced. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not forced. It comes by love. And as you learn to love him, as he works with you, you find yourself wanting to do more and more to please him. The purpose of Israel was to be a light to the other nations, just like we are. As Christians, we are to be a light to this dying world. We are to be light in this dark world. We are to be a people who show forth a love for a living God against those who say there is no God. Against those who say there is no living God. Life is what we make it. God is alive and he's living. And he has raised up people who can give testimony that what changed their lives was not them, but a living God. And that's important. He says, today people will know God through the individual Christians as we bear witness to him as Israel was to do. People will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's close with Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48. And <clears throat> go to verses 8 through 11. He says, You have neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been opened. Well, do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own namesake, for my what? For my own namesake, I delayed my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of afflictions for my own sake. For my own sake, I've tested you. For my own sake, I disciplined you. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? God says, how can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. He will not share his glory with another. No one can say, well, someone else really did this in my life or someone else really caused this to happen in my life. No, it was God. And he did it for his namesake. He did it because he loved you and he cares about you. And he doesn't want anyone making light of him and what he does in our lives. I hope that somehow you begin to catch a different picture about the covenant because the covenant is to honor this living God. And it allows us to understand his word and he 
is faithful in keeping his word. He's faithful. Allow God to speak to you. Learn God's covenants. Live within the covenant, especially the New Testament covenant. And allow God to reveal himself to you. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a living God who loves us and who means good unto us. And I thank you, Lord, that what you do on our behalf, you have promised and you have kept your word. And you will continue to do it for your namesake and for your glory. And Lord, as you work in our lives and do the things that only you can do, may we give you praise and honor. May we worship you. May we glorify you. May we seek not to rob one ounce of your glory, but to give you all the praise that is due thee. Lord, thank you. Minister to us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May you have a blessed week. May God somehow reveal himself to you in a new way. And I hope sometime when something happens exciting in your life that you think that somehow a message here may contribute to it, that you'll let us know that we can rejoice with you. If you'll just give us a little thing on Akron Alliance Fellowship, uh, if you'll allow us to know that, yes, somehow your life has been touched by the messages and somehow you have become more alert, more conscious, more aware of the living God, uh, that's what we're desiring to do. Melvin and myself, we want you to know Jesus Christ. Not about Akron Lions Fellowship, not about Pastor Brown, not about our Sunday school teacher Melvin. It's not about any of the people at the church. It's about the name, the name, the name of Jesus that is above every name. Well, God bless you and may you have a wonderful week in the Lord. Bye.